0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. my mind and now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the hotels.com app whether you're looking for a family-friendly right all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices ratings and amenities side by side so start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the hotels.com app
1: shouldn't you be at home
2: You know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, uh, he No! Hello, and welcome to the Quickly Kevin Cinema. Grab your popcorn, take your seat. I'm Chris Skull, and joining me on this cinematic odyssey is Josh Whitakham. Hello. And a man more impressive than Emmanuel Petit's appearance on The Bill is Michael Marden. Bonjour. <laughs> Have we seen uh, Manuel Petit's appearance on the bill? Yeah. Uh, I tell
1: you what, uh, thank you for all the emails we've received about it for the last four years. I do (laughs) apologise. We should have talked about it because I reckon we get one a month, at least. <laughs> <laughs> to be very clear, I am aware Emmanuel Petit has been in the bill. So, what, what's the film we're watching this week, Michael?
3: It's called Hot Shot. It is what I assume is a straight-to-video release from 1986-87 starring Pelé and a kind of rogues gallery of very, very bad supporting actors. Um, I actually
1: thought Pelé was one of the better actors. Yeah. <laughs> I've written down about four
2: times, Pele is a good actor. He's also really good looking. Oh, like he's in
1: such great shape. He's in insane yeah, shape. He looks great. He looks brilliant with a beard. So, Michael, do you want to just give us a, a kind of praise of what we're what the film
2: is? Should we apologise first of all because we're not doing United Passions this week? I was on a bike ride. Josh couldn't find a link to the film, so we're going to do United Passions in a future week. But for yeah. now, Hot Shot was more easily accessible. And if you want to watch this film at home, you can go on Amazon Prime. It's available
1: now. I love the idea. I know, obviously, at Amazon now. A bigger fish to fry. But there's going to be some analytic that sees... (laughs) <laughs> even even today, the, yeah. the fact that three people have watched Hotshot today <laughs> will be a real weird twist to the analytics of how the film's gone down. Well, yeah. I, fa-
2: I found myself thinking today, how has Hotshot ended up on Amazon Prime? Who's ticked that box?
1: I think you just hoover up stuff, don't you? Do you just buy the full back catalogue of a company and you just get Hotshot thrown in? Yeah, basically, someone
3: will own the licence to X amount of things and they've gone to Amazon and amazon will buy it in bulk for almost nothing but to the person that owns it it's just free money you know they've been licensing this film for 25 years basically but the thing i love about the sort of analytics and data on this is the way they sort of price up their acquisitions is based on what other films that are similar do on their site so somebody somewhere is you know the person who owns the rights to when saturday comes that isn't on amazon prime or netflix next time they go to do the deal with amazon they're going to go well, hold on a minute we have this hot shot film and it did like twenty thousand views <laughs> and suddenly the person that's selling when saturday comes is in a really strong bargaining position
2: this film club got, like additional podcasts we're doing is going to change the game for football films globally should we be should we be buying up the rights to some of these films
3: before we talk about them maybe is a good little money spinner <laughs>
2: This could be like, do you remember Richard and Judy's book club? Like if you got selected for that book club, it would explode bookstores. And that's what's happening with this film club. But
3: it's like when we talked about the, um, you know, the World Cup Italian 90 Orbis collection. After that episode, yeah. there were about 10 of them on eBay that were gone within 24 hours.
1: Look what we've done to uh, Steve Bruce's murder mystery novels. So, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, it's a very 80s. Oh, should, should we just give a brief premise? Of yeah, the film? a very,
3: very yeah. brief outline without kind of treading on the toes of any of the things we're going to talk about. So, basically, it's a story of an American soccer player called Jimmy, and he's trying to make it big. And by big, we mean the MLS in the 80s. And he goes on a pilgrimage to find Pele. Who I think is not not Pele, but but is is
1: Pele. It's astonishingly called Santos, which is the name of Pele's team. It's like if you were to cast Steve Bull and call him Wolverhampton. Like it's bizarre. (laughs) I, I never noticed uh, that so what they don't call him Pele I just
2: assumed that was like another like part of his Brazilian name
1: his his name is Edson Aranches D.F. Nascramento or something isn't it <laughs> but Santos is the team he played his more or less his whole career for but obviously he's called Santos in this so the team he played his whole career for is called Pele quite confusingly <laughs>
3: Um, so, yeah, he goes on a pilgrimage to Brazil to find Pelé or Santos to get some guidance. And basically, that's, that's where the film starts. So, well, I thought before we get into it, uh, let's play the trailer for the listeners and anyone that hasn't seen it to give them a little taste of the kind of quality we're dealing with here.
0: He was a forgotten champion. I don't want to talk about the who turned his back on the game. People forget. You won't always be famous. He was a rising star. Hey, it's about time we got some talent on his field. Whose biggest problem was himself. Chris Phoenix, get over here! You're a problem. I want him up! They were a generation apart. I've idolized you since I was a little kid. You're the greatest soccer player that ever lived. I really need your help. I'm sorry. I am an so- outdoor soccer Neither would admit they had something to prove. I can't help. Can't even help yourself. You can't just run scared. Just want to be left alone. You want to play? Until they found they had something to give each other. Time for school. Are you serious? to be the best you know I do so does everybody else and the one discovery they made together does anybody here want to win is that winning <laughs> isn't something you do on your own one be of the best Jim Young's hayley
2: hot shot for the winner inside us all so, Our protagonist is Jimmy Christidis. You see him come to Rio. First thing that happens, he gets his wallet stolen. He chases the guy. The guy pulls a gun on him. The guy runs off with his wallet. As this is happening, the credits are rolling. It turns out the music is provided by William Orbit. Did you spot this? Is it?
1: No. I couldn't believe it. It's true. Wow. William Orbit had quite a weird career before he went on to his late 90s pomp and then completely disappearing, to my knowledge. Do you remember when Harry Enfield released the single Loads of Money? That was produced by Willie Morbitt. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, so he's had quite... That would have been around this time as well, would not it? About 1987. He just had a kind of strange career before. He twiddled knobs for Madonna and Blur. Um... Can we start by talking about the main character, Jimmy? Well, I just wanted to say a couple of words on the credits. Right at the start. So you get the first thing
2: that comes up is produced by Steve Pappas. And then it says, like, Steve Pappas Productions. And it just kept saying Steve Pappas. He's credited several times. (laughs) So I was like, who is Steve Pappas? I Googled it did some research. He never made another film, this Steve Pappas character. And the only thing that comes up is that the guy who runs Costco is called Steve Pappas. Like, he's obviously a very successful retailer. So, did he just have one
1: dalliance in film? Judging by this film, he didn't need another one. <laughs> <laughs> not, that, not because he's completed film. He did everything he needed to do. <laughs> um, so it starts, you've got this character of Jimmy, who I'd say is hugely dislikable. Yeah. I, I didn't like him at all. His backstory is it's the opposite of when Saturday comes, in the sense of he's really frustrated because he's been born into an astonishingly rich background with a lovely house. And that's meant to be like a bad like an awful origin story for him. And he's just really kind of horrible to people. It just doesn't seem very nice. I don't know why I was going to side with him.
3: Yeah, it's such a bizarre choice from a sort of scripting point of view, because when you first meet him, we don't know that. He gets to Brazil and he asks Pele for help and Pele refuses. And then you get this sort of scene where um it's a sort of flashback. But you're not told that it's a flashback. There's no kind of visual grammar to tell you. It just sort of cuts to this kind of big what i describe as like a stately mansion with two rolls royce parked outside and it's like what where why are we here and then there's a kid kicking this ball in a sort of disused ballroom it looks like and it's it's jimmy and from then on it's just a series of sort of vignettes of him being entitled rude spoiled like he is the most dislikable central character i think i've ever met in any film
1: yes totally agree
0: what the hell was that all about? Come on, Mom. Why don't you bring her with a wedding dress and a priest? What are you talking about? The merging of the two great shipping families. You know, instead of babies, maybe she will pop out little oil tankers, and we'll raise them into super tankers. Jimmy, if I told you that she was going to be here, you wouldn't have come. Probably not. I suppose you got a house picked out for us already. Let me think. Dimitri, a five bedroom down the road. She's going to be in college with you next year, so I thought. Not my college. I'm out of college. I'm not going back to school. I'm playing professional soccer instead. Oh, Dimitri, you are impossible. Melina's waiting downstairs. We'll talk about this later. The hell with Melina. Let's talk about it now. Soccer is a game. Games can wait until after dinner. This is no game to me. You're finishing college. That's final. No,
2: I'm playing soccer, and that's final. I think that what was meant to happen is that is the storyline arc that he's really dislikable and then eventually he kind of changes his ways. but you never really get that epiphany from him he kind of remains relatively unlikable and cocky throughout well when he
1: goes he goes to Pele he goes to Brazil eventually he finds Pele Pele's gone he didn't like football he didn't want to be a part of it he's retired for 10 years he's kind of decided to go off the grid basically he's done a David Batty I've got no idea how Jimmy's found him yeah exactly I mean, David Batty would obviously be called Leeds (laughs) (laughs) so the reason he's gone to pele is he says to pele i want you to teach me soccer and (laughs) you presume that he's never played but then you have this flashback and basically you see his life up to the moment when he's turned up at, at santos's house he grows up in this kind of hampton's mansion and then he um he gets a trial for New York Rockers, they're called. Uh, also, he keeps it from his family, so his family
2: don't know that he's sneaking off in the day yeah, to go his train for New York don't Rockers.
1: Like him playing football, which is weird. His dad wants him to go to college. His parents are like these real bad characters that then disappear a third of the way into the film. Him being from rich parents is the weirdest decision that's ever been made in a film.
2: Oh, so he's he's gone for, to Pele for help, and you see his bedroom in this kind of, like, the the origin story, and it's covered with posters of Pele. So this kid, I presume he's meant to be about 20 in 1987 when this film was made. Pele retired in 77, so he would have been 10. It doesn't really
1: stack up that he would be obsessed with Pele. There's also this weird thing with the posters. So later on, Pele goes to his... He gets a job working for Pele in the gardens, but Pele won't teach him football. And then later on, Pele goes to his quarters... uh, Sorry, Santos, I should call him, goes to his quarters, knocks on his bedroom door, opens it, and he's got a poster of (laughs) Santos on his wall in the house of Santos. (laughs) (laughs) It's a creepy thing to do! He's got a poster of the man who's his boss on his wall, <laughs> even if he's a hero.
3: But he's got form in that area. There's a moment where he, um, he's living in a motel basically, and uh, he's put posters and pictures up like on the walls <laughs> of the motel. <laughs> yeah. and that, I mean, obviously, you know, everyone has sort of stayed in hotels and maybe for like I don't know, a couple of weeks, possibly on holiday would you ever bring a poster to put up on the wall like, just to make it more homely do you think i don't think the
1: housekeeping would accept with that <laughs> would be livid it's like in shawshank you expect that he's building a tunnel <laughs> <laughs> Um, so he has his
2: trial for the New York Rockers it goes really well but he's getting quite aggressive in training and he's kind of he's not really respecting the older pros he's being very cocky later that night he's in a bar and one of the other players Johnson who I think is the captain this kid Jimmy is like sat at the back of the bar mouthing off about how he's going to take Johnson's place in the team and Johnson's like you should show a little respect or something and and uh, Jimmy goes well I've got some criticism for you <laughs> and he says oh yeah I love this you're a little slow to your left and Johnson's like god damn it <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? If someone said to me, you're a little slow to your left, I would honestly have no idea what they would be on about in a footballing context. He's,
3: well, I would say at this stage in the film, I actively hate this guy. There's a, there's a kind of famous screenwriting trope, which is like Save the Cat, where in the first five minutes of the film, you know, you have your main character do something slightly heroic to win over the audience. And this film, instead of having him save the cat, they've basically done the exact opposite. He may as well have drowned a bag of kittens in the first five minutes. (laughs) You just want him to fail. I hated him.
1: So let's, for the listener, the chronology of not how it's shot in the film, because you start with Pelé and then it flashes back to why he's ended up at Pelé's house. So what's happened in reality is he's, by this point in the film, if you exclude Pelé from it, he has got a trial, he's then training with them. They train on the pitch, as all people seem to do in these football films, which is an astroturf and just looks mad. Also, I don't know enough about Major League Soccer, or it was the NSL, wasn't it, whatever it was called in those days, but um, did they really just have the markings of American football pitches on the pitch for the games? The pitches look like... Do you remember in your school... Yes, in the sports hall where yeah. there'd be four different <laughs> yeah. coloured pitches, so that they you could play all the different sports. But it was just like a mess of coloured lines. So they've got an American football pitch, and then which is white on green, obviously, and then, like, red lines on it to mark out whether the soccer pitch would be. That couldn't have happened, could it?
2: I was also looking at the proportions of the pitch. Like, it's way too narrow. The pitch is so narrow and really long. And the the way the players... The football action is actually all right, but the way the players bunch together, like, cinematic, it's
1: weird. Yeah, you just can't film football. You can't film football and make it look good. Um, One of the training scenes... Bizarrely, it's just one where there's this aerobic scene. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you see that? I mean, so there's just this scene where this, and it was big in the 80s, the old aerobics teacher teaching people, but she just comes in and does a training session. It doesn't lead to anything. The
3: line that the coach says to introduce her or the manager, he says, uh, This is Peggy, who is part of the progressive new training regime. And when you hear a <laughs> sentence like that, you think, Oh, yeah, like Pep Guardiola, you know, short style drills, kind of focusing on ball control and technique. And it's just this woman in a leotard with a boombox. She yeah. presses play, and they basically spend, I don't know, is a good two minutes she, where she's making them do aerobics. And from what I can tell, literally the only point of that scene is to see a woman without a bra bounce around a lot. <laughs> like, you learn absolutely
1: nothing. When they said we're going to get, this is Peggy, I, I was hoping it was going to be Peggy off <laughs> the reason, Sorry. so there's this is bizarre training montage
2: that you say, but I think it's there to introduce the character of Winston, who is. Like the <laughs> most stereotypical Jamaican man you can ever imagine. Uh, I think, yeah. He turns up with like a, a boombox. He's got <laughs> yeah. like a Rastafarian hat on, and I think he's smoking what appears to be a weed cigarette. He, um, He's actually played by the
3: actor Mario Van Peebles, who's also a director. And about four or five years after this film, he went on to direct the the Wesley Snipes gangster classic New Jack City. Oh, yeah. And his dad is also a, a famous... Um, Exploitation director, but the thing I was reminded most of in that is we're basically watching a live action version of the Hurricanes at this stage. <laughs> Every player is from a sort of different background. Like when yeah. um, Jimmy first turns up in the training match, he has an argument for no reason whatsoever with one of his teammates, and he goes up to him and he says, Uh, okay, Mohammed, I hear Cairo's nice this time of year. <laughs> A bit of light xenophobia to wind that up his is so his teammate. You're
1: like this guy's awful. And then, if you want bolted on, um, there's this weird scene which is a romance scene with this girl, which goes <laughs> nowhere. This. Where oh, he takes to so his an room and he's showing her tactics on a pitch. And from what I can tell, I mean, this is pathetic. But the tactics he's showing seem to be a three-two-five formation. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well. I counted him he only had four forwards his formation was a play short he had a, he had a center back really? who he's calling a stopper two yeah. full backs two midfielders and then four forwards <laughs> city experiment with that sometimes so actually he may have been ahead of his time
3: <laughs> yeah he also calls them um He goes, uh, this is the center. These are the inside right and left. And these are the wings. Not not
2: wingers. These are the wings. (laughs) And then basically, they're having kind of, it turns into flirty chat about formations. Like there's a bit of weird flirting going on. And then the girl says to Jimmy, my position is defenseless. And then they kiss.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's so bad. we cut back to Brazil and he's back with Santos and you sort of realize what structurally is going to happen is Jimmy is going to keep sort of telling him the tale of kind of how he's ended up there. And you're expecting this girl's going to come back at some point in the film. And Santos says, Oh, you know, she sounded nice. Did you ever see her? And he goes, no, I never saw her again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Done. Um, So he's got a best friend figure. Who's this kind of Italian American guy. They get signed up together. And there's an astonishing press conference scene yeah. when they've signed for the club because no one would give a shit. Even if Liverpool were to sign two new players who are trialists, it would barely be covered apart from 6,000 words in The Athletic. <laughs> like, it wouldn't. It's not a story that the New York rockers have signed these two, but the press conference is like...
3: Well, I, what it reminded me of is, you know, the scenes in a film where, um, like, someone's come out of a really long trial... And the verdict has gone a particular way that you weren't expecting. And as they come out of the courthouse, they're just mobbed with photographers and microphones in their face. They've essentially signed two trialists. That just would not happen.
1: And there's this extra thing where he kind of lies about his background. He says he's from kind of a, a small fishing family. And then later on, it kind of kicks off that he's lied to the press about his background. And you think, oh, this is going to be a big plot point but it's not really.
3: But I think that's the case with so much of this film. Like there's no backstory to anything. A thing will happen. And I, and I quite often would go, oh, did I, did I miss a bit? But no, you're, you're thrown into the middle of a scene. You're told the bare basics and it moves on. And that scene doesn't do anything to drive the plot. It doesn't come back. There's no callbacks. There's no character development. There's nothing.
1: I can't emphasize how good When Saturday Comes was in hindsight. <laughs> well...
2: Part of me thought this film feels better written than when Saturday comes.
1: Uh, We have had so many emails from people saying all that dialogue is exactly how people who worked in factories in the North in the 90s spoke. And There's been a lot of the word middle-class Southerners thrown around in our email.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the guy who wrote A Hot Shot, the next film he wrote after this was Point Break. Oh, wow. was it? Yeah, Rick King. I think you could see the seeds that some of this was was kind of... It's a good story, but it's just... It doesn't make sense. It's not a good
3: story. The whole thing is terrible. (laughs) This film is basically what would happen if Steve Bruce was hired to rewrite The Karate Kid but set it in the world of football.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So then he gets onto the bench, but he just can't get off the bench. The team talk from the manager is is insane.
2: I think think they're losing at half-time and the manager comes in and says, these guys are tough and they want to win. Do you want to win? Then run faster and hit harder.
3: (laughs) Do you remember that infamously awful team talk Ryan Giggs gave when he was Man United manager? Yeah. Well, this makes that look like the St. Crispin's Day speech from Henry V. (laughs) Just prior to that, the coach says, I've got a team of some of the most talented players in the world. Now, we've seen them training up until this point. It's like, mate, you definitely haven't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So this is one of my theories, right? because I think Pele doesn't do a bad job, and I thought Mel Sterland did quite a good job, and Tony Curry. Is there an argument we're making these football films? You shouldn't be casting actors as footballers, you should be casting footballers as actors, because then the football scenes will look good, and it's not like these actors are that good enough that they are making up for the fact they're rubbish at football.
2: Yeah, if the way Pele can walk into it, yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think you've onto something.
3: Maybe there's a lot to be said for why something like Escape to Victory, although by no means a good football film, is sort of slightly more highly regarded because apart from Sylvester Stallone and Michael Caine, pretty much everyone else on those teams were footballers.
2: Especially
1: John Walk, more of a footballer than most. (laughs) Um, And then you get... So then it all kind of unravels. This is just before he goes to see Pele. His mate gets injured in a challenge. He gets an elbow to the header when he goes up for a header. But the challenge is so innocuous.
3: Yeah. He goes for a 50-50 header, and the opposing player leads slightly with his elbow, and basically breaks his spine in the 90s you'd see that type of aerial battle at least 20 times a game that could actually lead to paralyzing someone the likes of alan shearer big duncan ferguson fash the bash and dion dublin would all be sharing a wing of a prison together for gbh (laughs) (laughs) my favorite bit around that is he's on the floor it's clear in the film that he's you know he's really badly hurt and then one of his teammates just sort of mutters hey give me a yellow card (laughs) It's
1: like they're bringing on a stretcher, mate. He's never uh, going to walk again. Um, and then Jimmy kind of has an argument with the coach in a car park. And the coach, because Jimmy's not played yet and Jimmy wants to play. And the co- he's I can't work out. I missed what Jimmy said. But the coach instantly, and this just isn't a thing that has ever happened, gives him a two-month suspension. Without pay as well. Without pay. A two-month suspension without pay. And then... At this point, I've written this is one of the most boring films I've ever watched. But it does pick up. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get another. So Jimmy's got two months to play with, and then you see him try and sell his big expensive car to buy a plane ticket to Brazil. It's really
2: implied that these are dodgy car dealers, as well. It goes on and on. You are like, is this going to be important? And of course, it's not
1: important. So then we reach the present day when he's working on Santos's farm, and Santos gives him a day off Sunday. It's his day off, and we see. Uh, Jimmy playing football. Uh, football drills are a difficult thing to get right in these films, aren't they? Well, yeah. all his football
2: drills are just kicking a ball against a wall
1: really yeah. hard. Yeah.
3: There's a line of, I'd say, what, like eight balls? You know how, like, a sort of snooker player will practice potting? Yeah, yeah he's basically yeah, yeah. doing that, just kicking a ball against a big dirt wall, really, like, really hard, in the same way that, you know, like Rocky will run with a big log on his shoulders. But then you see the reverse angle, and there's a crowd of, like, maybe 200 people <laughs> watching this man <laughs> kick a ball <laughs> against the dirt. <laughs>
1: So weird. And basically the point is that Pele, uh, sorry, Santos has given up on football. He doesn't like football. He's got no interest anymore. Can I just also say the biggest tell, this guy's not a bad footballer, this actor, but the biggest tell he's not good at football is he's always heading upwards. Yeah. Like his head is-
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's,
1: he does that kind of childish header where it kind of hits the top of your head and goes straight up rather yeah. than... Kind of forehead, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah. It reminded me of that. Was it Alistair Campbell that we were talking about? Um, yeah, it did, yeah, Keegan and Tony Blair doing those headers. And you could see that Pelé was basically doing all the heavy lifting, sort of planting <laughs> the ball on his head every time. Yeah. He wasn't really moving, and Pelé was sort of scuttling around like a crab, constantly trying to sort of pick up <laughs> these rubbish headers. <laughs>
2: so um, what
1: happens basically is Pelé gets a taste for football for wanting to help this guy, there's
2: a scene where it's kind of Jimmy's appears to be tidying Pele's house up, and he finds a little wooden box. And he opens the wooden box, and in there is a football and a Brazil shirt. Like Pele's, like tried to like banish all his memories of football and just stored all his football memorabilia in a little box that Jimmy stumbled upon. And then the next day, Jimmy and Pele over macheteing at like some woodland, and in the in the <laughs> trees, Jimmy finds a football. Heads it over to Pele. Pele instinctively heads it back. They go back and forward, and then Pele just grabs the ball and boots it off like Peter Kay in those John Smiths adverts. <laughs> Pele realised what his game is. You're just trying to make me play football. Do you fuck that off? Boots it out.
3: Now, you know that ball that he finds in the box of Pele's memory box? Like, what do you think the deal with that was? Because I was expecting it to be, you know, a World Cup match-winning ball or, you know, the first yeah. trick he scored. <laughs> And it was a brand-new mitre <laughs> delta. He <laughs> had been unkicked by a human. I'm out of the game, but just in case, there's a brand-new size five, pumped up,
1: ready to go. Um, he, so then we see, eventually, he trains them up. Like, there's a weird bit where they're, like, piggybacking each other down the beach. They kind of bond, and it's quite nice. Then Pele takes him to watch the team, which is presumably not Santos, because he's called Santos, but is Santos. <laughs> the team's called Pele. The team's called Pele. So he takes him to... Um, they've interspersed match footage with them in the crowd. I was confident that there is not a goal in the match that they have footage of. Because they have to use a goal where three men are so clearly offside and play has (laughs) almost totally stopped and they don't celebrate the goal. So you just see, you know, like when a guy knocks the ball into a goal when everyone knows play has already stopped. Yeah. Yeah, You just see that kind of clip and then you cut to them cheering and you're like... That wasn't a goal. (laughs) Also, another thing about this period, like, Pele's at a
2: football game. Pele's eating in a restaurant. It's like, Pele can't do these things, surely. Pele can't just walk (laughs) around and be absolutely mobbed.
1: Pele does not have this kind of life, surely. But then we get to the best bit, which is the last bit of training he does with him. Where Pele, I loved this so much, he decides the final thing he needs to learn is how to do an overhead kick. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I, I was wondering about this. Like, I don't remember Pele being famous for scoring them, like,
2: in real life. No, no, no. It's only an escape to victory. I don't know if this is just a thing down south, but it was always called a Pele. Like, an overhead kick was called a Pele. Did you ever hear...
1: Do you know it's yeah, oh, that. called a Santos where I came <laughs> from.
3: But, but he does that he, the exact thing in Escape to Victory. It's the, sort of, the famous goal that he scores, and the, even the Germans stand up and applaud. And I wondered whether it's sort of... Has that film sort of influenced this film in as much as like, oh, yeah, you're famous for doing those. Are there examples of Pelé scoring bicycle kicks? Well,
2: I, thought Pe- I thought he did it in
1: Escape to Victory because he was famous in his career. I've never seen a clip of Pelé doing it. The thing with the overhead kick, which I'm sure I have mentioned before, is... When I went to watch a Major League Soccer match when I was in America about 15 years ago, and it was uh, Steve Nichols, one of the managers, and it was 1-0 for game finish, but the biggest cheer of the night was when a player, the ball was going out for a throw-in on the halfway line, and a player did an overhead kick to keep it in, and the stadium erupted like (laughs) they'd never seen anything before. (laughs) So obviously in America, the overhead kick is considered kind of... Witchcraft. <laughs> but there's this scene where he, so Pele says, "I've got to do one more, show one more thing." Does the overhead kick, and he's like, "I've always wondered how you could do that." And then it's just like his tip is just like watch the ball. Well, I've
2: got the quote because I was like, "Oh, Pele's going to tell you how to do an overhead kick," and I was like, "This bit could be really insightful." And he, Pele, just says, "Concentrate on the ball and jump." <laughs> <laughs>
1: And so he goes back armed with his overhead kit and he sees his mate who's now in a wheelchair and he's been in a wheelchair for two months.
3: Do you, do you recognise the guy who plays his mate?
2: Well,
1: no. it's the
3: guy from Baywatch, isn't it? Yeah, he was in Baywatch. He was yeah. in the, the first... Baywatch cast yeah I also thought
2: this scene where he comes back like back home and he's now in a wheelchair is almost identical to the scene in Born on the 4th of July
1: yeah it looks like that because there's an American flag on the wall as well which
2: really brings that home but then we cut to the the Rockers we find out they're still losing and I think at this point every game that's mentioned every kind of anything to do with the Rockers is involved them losing. So so now, I, I think we're well over an hour into the film, and the Rockers haven't won a single match. They are losing every week. Why is this manager not been sacked? Also, Jimmy Cristides hasn't played a single game yet. He's just disappeared to Brazil for a couple of months. They're still losing every game. He gets to the dressing room, and the manager says, Johnson. Where was your mind? Like implying this guy Johnson's having a, a bad game. And then he makes the decision. Christidis
1: is coming on to make his debut. Yeah. And then we have a montage of him basically scoring lots of headers <laughs> and goals <laughs> combined with newspaper headlines about how amazing he is. Yeah. So he's gone from being on the bench, a bit like when Saturday comes. He goes from being on the bench to three minutes later... Have dominated the game for the last ten weekends. <laughs> yeah,
3: so there's a couple of things in amongst that. In one of the um, one of the newspaper headlines, one of the sort of pictures on the front page, I'm fairly certain it was a Liverpool player in a Crown Paints shirt. <laughs> but the other thing I love to talk about is um, is the juxtaposition of the sort of stock shots of the stadiums and the crowds. You know, we're talking like huge. 80,000 NFL seater stadiums are all yeah. sold out. And then when you cut to the game footage, and I think what's had to happen is that the filmmakers and the production have had to assemble like a wooden fence, like I say, like a 10 feet high wooden fence around the pitch just to mask the fact that nobody <laughs> is actually in the stadium because it's it's a good four or five feet higher than every player so what they're doing is anyone that was sat i'd say in the first 50 rows at least would not be able to see what's going on on the pitch like it's it's insane but then to compound that sometimes when they're playing like the match footage the cameraman obviously can't frame the shots effectively so you can see like over the top of this fence and the stadium is just completely empty and then the next cutaway there's a hundred thousand people there (laughs)
2: also you know when they, there's one of the shots, they cut away to the full stadium cheering and they haven't cropped it well enough and so you can see people walking past with american nfl helmets and actually <laughs> chuck it an american football yeah. in the air <laughs> that happens a couple of times
1: this is the eternal problem of these films right is that you've got the when saturday comes approach which as we discussed was they had to do it at half time and it overran and it was like it brings its own problems or you've got the film-it-in-the-empty-stadium approach. The approach that is absolutely economically not possible is to fill a stadium, to film. There's, there's got to be... I don't know what the... Do you know what I mean? To give them their due, as much as we find it, and it is hilarious. I don't know what the answer would be if you were filming scenes that had to be in a 100,000-seater stadium. It's, it's an impossible thing to film. Um so now so now we find
2: out that the Rockets are Eastern Division champs having lost every game for eight months solid and then yeah. gone on a run of seven wins they've somehow won the league okay fine <laughs> Fine, whatever. But then, then then, Jimmy goes to visit Vinny, his disabled friend, who is now drinking at home in the middle of the day. Jimmy decides he has to do something for his friend. So he goes to the owner. The owner's working out in the stadium and he's talking with uh, <laughs> like an architect about making the stadium bigger. Jimmy goes to the owner and says, look, Vinny's made a big sacrifice for this club. And the owner goes, no, we're, no way are we going to give him a job. We've done enough for that boy. And then like storms out. You're like, what, what was that about? And then Jimmy just kind of goes out onto the pitch and <laughs> another football film where the protagonist is just standing in an empty stadium at night
1: what i have found about football films is football players have free access to go into their stadium whenever they want
2: (laughs) yeah and just turn the floodlights on at midnight yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so so then now the film was hitting a crescendo it's the the big final game i think it's like the, what they would consider like the playoff final and he goes to the chairman and says if you don't get my friend vinny a contract i'm going to quit i won't play the match and he goes oh actually all right you've got until halftime to give him a contract
1: yeah, and the chairman so goes, you're weird. a
2: disgrace or something.
1: And then we have a quick cut to Pele tuning in from home. And then they go 1-0 down, and it's half time. And we've seen the manager has had an argument with the chairman during the first half. As if the chairman, who's getting 80,000 through the gate every week, would give that much of a shit about giving a bloke a job for 30 grand a year that would keep his star player happy it's like jimmy five bellies or whatever isn't it? it's like that's what you do it's like when they signed emerson's cousin you just 100 percent do it you wouldn't yeah. have a problem with it
3: and also conversely you, you know you wouldn't get gaza threatening to quit at halftime of the fa cup final <laughs> because they wouldn't hire jimmy five bellies yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> Also, also that the chairman demands to speak to the manager while the first half is on and the manager's like, No. And they're like, Well, he wants to see you on right now. And he's like, ah, and he says to the assistant, kind of you take over. And he walks in and has this chat. But the first thing the assistant says as the manager
1: walks away is uh, we need to work on our
2: triangles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's half time and the chairman comes into the dressing room and says, I'm not gonna give a job to your disabled friends that got disabled playing for us, even though you're the star player and you've demanded it, which is the most, most absurd decision by a chairman of all time. And so he says, well, I'm not going to play the second half. And then all the team in a kind of... I am Spartacus. Yeah, or their poet society, I was thinking. like They all kind of back <laughs> him
2: up. Yeah, the chair the chairman back down. And he goes, I can't believe it. And then Vinny gets his job. And the players run out of the dressing room. Jimmy runs oh, up into the stand law. and says, Vinny, you got your job. <laughs> <laughs> this is the start of the second half. And his friend is like in the second tier or something. All the players just running around the stadium. He kind of does not pack cash. He
1: did a pack cash, <laughs> <laughs> like a pack cash <laughs> at halftime when they're 1-0 down. At halftime when they're 1-0 <laughs> down, he does a pack cash to congratulate his mate on his new job.
2: <laughs> so they're one nil down. And I think, does Jimmy get the equaliser? Someone gets the equaliser. And then the opposition
1: team. Are you... Do you want to describe the opposition team's goal? Because it's one of the most... i laughed at anything we've seen. I <laughs> It goes 1-0, and then the opposition go 2-1-up... With a goal. Uh, do you remember Blanco, the we discussed it last week, the Mexican guy that puts the ball between his feet and jumps with the ball? Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Well I,
3: I thought it was more it was a combination of Blanco and René Higuita, the scorpion.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, like it's yes. a combination of work. So the the player is he on the ground? How does he do it? I can't even work out how he does it. It's imagine someone doing the worm from a
3: standing yeah. position but as he goes down, has got the ball between his feet, and then flicks it over his head and chips the sort of goalkeeper <laughs> who's rushing out <laughs> off of his line. And they my favourite <laughs> bit is they add a sound effect, like they add a sort of like. <laughs>
1: It's like a special move from Street Fighter 2. I I just don't know what's going on with it. Why why, in this world where a player can do that, it's an overhead kick considered so
2: impressive. Also, there's two things I want to say about that goal. Firstly, when he does that, there's three cameramen in the six-yard box. Like It's like the end of the 1966 World Cup final. There are people in, like, right in front of the goal, and they're stood there taking pictures. And also, every goal that's scored, not just in this game, but throughout this whole film, the players are always grouped together in a really tight yeah. bunch. Like the director's gone, just pile more people into the frame. Yeah. So when he does that bizarre Renegade flick, there's like six people around it.
3: Can we, Can we talk briefly about the sort of rogues gallery of players that don't make up the main cast, the kind of supporting players? The captain of that team, I'm sure when they shake hands at, like, at the start of the match, he's about 50 years old. Like, he, looks, he looks like a sort of 50-year-old barber. And the, the player who's the, the guy who injures his friend in the earlier match is also the same team they're playing against. That guy looks like a, a professional weightlifter. Like his sort of body shape and size comparatively. You're like, that guy's not a footballer. He looks like he could lift a car up. <laughs>
1: Then also on that, you know, when they run out for this big game, so they run onto the pitch. But after the teams have run off, <laughs> the managers, the managers just run off yeah. to them, <laughs> it just never happened. So the managers run off to the pitch at full pelt behind the team.
3: They run on like um like you're watching the WWF Royal Rumble. Like they're sort of coming on to theme <laughs> music, like slapping the hands of the fans as they go down.
1: Um. So then it's two, they're two one down right near the end. And they get a free kick and the old guy that's in the final game of his career and earlier on he'd said he wants to win a final trophy. (laughs) He says, I want to take this because this means more to me or whatever. So he's got a free kick and you see the scoreboard. Which gets the crowd excited by proclaiming on the school board, direct free kick. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't thought about free kicks being direct or indirect in probably 15 years, but when it was my childhood, that felt like a big thing. Yeah, Yeah, it was huge. Like Whether a free kick was direct or indirect was such a thing when you were growing up. It felt like a real issue back in the day. Yeah. Like, do you remember when Stuart Pearce scored that goal in Euro 92 against France and it didn't count because it was an indirect free kick? Yeah. When has that ever happened in the last 15 years? Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Please do get in touch if you know what's happened to indirect free kicks. It'll be <laughs> interested. The guy scores. Uh, it's his 493rd career goal, which is an absurdly high number. Yeah. And then um, we come to the end of the film, which is basically the clock counting down like it doesn't in football. <laughs> and it kind of cutting between the crowd. The crowd, for the last minute, are screaming like a goal's already gone in, even though it's just a build-up. There's a kind of cutaway at one point to just a cop smiling, <laughs> which I found very bizarre. <laughs> and then um, Jimmy scores with an overhead kick, and, it, and they win. And I've got to say... It's one of the worst trophies I've ever seen (laughs) in my life. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's so bad. It's proper Timpson's Window-style trophy.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, then we get a moment, and I was really hoping this is where the film was going to end, because my dream was that we'd accidentally kind of discovered this recurring motif of football films, which is the freeze frame ending and it, and it happens. Yeah. And for a split second, I was like, Oh my God, maybe they all just end this way. You don't know how to end. It's like yeah. sketch comedy. It's like, they just don't know how to end a sketch. They don't yeah. know how to end football films. We just freeze frame. But sadly then soon after it dissolves
2: back into the, the next scene. Which is Jimmy just going back to Pele's house, getting a, lift, yeah. getting a lift on the back of a lorry with some bananas. I mean, this guy's a multi-millionaire. Why is he still hitchhiking? Because <laughs> he's now down to earth, Michael. That was the storyline arc. He used to be really cocky and arrogant, and now he's happy to just get lifts on the back of banana lorries.
1: And so that was the end of the film. I think we should give... A rating for these films. What about Um, footballs out of 10? Footballs out of 10. Okay. Mitre deltas out of 10. (laughs) So what are you going to give when Saturday comes? I'm going to give when Saturday comes five footballs out of 10 it was fine michael
3: i'm gonna give it six out of 10 it was more than the sum of its parts
1: i enjoyed when saturday comes i'm gonna give it a six and i'm gonna give this a three although i did like Pella, (laughs) he's a good actor and he's absolutely ripped
2: i'm actually going to score this film higher than when saturday comes because i think if listeners fancy a laugh i think you would enjoy this film more than when saturday comes when saturday comes is very serious but you will have a good laugh at this So six footballs out
3: of ten. I thought this was absolutely dreadful. Um, There's an an entire second act where I genuinely was so bored. And not even bored in a sort of good, this is trashy way. Everything about this film, from a technical perspective, is fundamentally awful. It made Red Saturday Comes look like it was directed by Hitchcock in comparison.
1: (laughs) So I'm going to give it two Mitre Deltas out of ten. Wow, low scoring. Okay, next week we're going to be watching uh, the FIFA film when we work out how to get our hands on it. Uh, which is called uh, United Passions. It stars Sam Neill, Tim Roth and Gerard Depardieu telling the story of the World Cup. And it's apparently terrible. So I do look forward to that. One week, maybe we'll watch a good film, but that probably won't make us good a podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with uh, more Best Ofs. Quiz Thursday, Best Of Friday. And back with our normal classic episodes on Monday. Robbie Slater. See you later.